Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Grandstand cricket. With a splendid innings for New Zealand. But they are all out for 372. Another test is done and dusted. Now it's time for some post-match parlay with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. The Final Word with ABC Grandstand. Welcome to The Final Word. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon with you for another week. A huge week it's been. Red ball cricket, white ball cricket. Long form cricket and the short men and women. It's a smorgasbord, Jeff, a relative smorgasbord anyway. I hope you're enjoying it. I do love the word smorgasbord. Uh, yeah, we've been stuffing ourselves. We are the Bart Simpson. I washed myself with a rag on a stick of cricket these last couple of weeks and it will carry on. There'll be one day as to come. We can talk about test matches to come next month. Everything, everything's happening. What we go all the way back to is the Sydney Test Match, which we should invest some time in, especially David Warner, who achieved a rare feat on that first morning. A century in a session... It was ridiculous, really, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't so much the ridiculous for the shots he was playing. He's made a century in a session before, of course, in Perth back in the early stages of 2012. This was an innings that was uh, David Warner version 2.0. Yeah, it was a, a, a tale of two innings, perhaps. You know, the, the David Warner, Kermit the Frog wearing the the Darth Vader hood kind of thing, the two versions of Warner, because that first one was was him in his real T20 basher stage just clobbering everything over cow mm. corner, you know, absolutely just hammering... Uh, any ball on a length, wherever he wanted to put it. This one was more controlled. Everything was through the offside. Uh, he didn't hit a six to bring up that 100. He only played, uh, I think it was, there was four boundaries out of 17 through the onside, which also gives you a bit of a sense, but only a couple down the ground. So but one, the you know, one of those through. was off the pads, one That's was a right. pull shot. You know, yep. they, weren't, they weren't slogs over the onside either. No, they, were, they were proper shots when the ball suggested it. But Pakistan just kept feeding him outside off stump. Um, and so he kept sort of cutting away through backward point, driving through cover, you know, playing that sort of back foot forcing punch shot that he plays through cover point through that area um, and going over the cordon a couple of times. Yeah, that, that especially, it was that shot he plays at the top of the bounce high on the balls of his feet where he's hitting down hard on the ball past point, which would usually be a, sh- a risky shot for most mortals, but David Warner seems to have that shot completely under control. First time ever for that feat to be occurred uh, in our country a-, a century before lunch on the first day. Uh, and it's, it's, not a, it's not a modern thing either, you know, four, four guys previously, but three of them were 1930 or earlier. Yeah, and absolutely, including a couple of handy blokes with grandstands named after them at the SCG by the name of Bradman and Trumper. Uh, and the one before that was 40 years ago. So you're right, it's been a long time. And, and you can look at it another way too, in, in, in that era, Bradman faced about 150 balls for his 100 at Leeds in 1930, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Warner faced 77, I think it was, um, by the time he made it to 100. 
which again speaks to you know the changing of the game and, and, and just how wonderful it is that you can still see something like that in modern cricket. Well, I mean, first sessions have got shorter. Uh, we have fewer overs in a day. Somehow they used to just churn through overs at a much faster rate, you know, trot back to the top of the mark and run in and bowl again instead of having a 10-minute conference between each ball about where the backward square leg should be. I love the drama with the ton. Of course, it required a misfield from Pakistan. Of course, Yassir Shah was in the middle of things running out to deep point. I love the crowd um, chanting for him to run through for the third. I love Matthew Renshaw running to the danger end. Everything about that last five minutes or so as he went from uh, 95 to 100, it was, it was the best of test cricket. Yeah, a couple of overs to lunch and, and you had that thing of, you know, Renshaw, they, they were urging him to get a single with two overs to mm. go, you know, until he got to the last ball of the over and then they were urging him to block. Yeah, so, as he said himself in the press conference, it's the first time he's been booed for blocking and cheered for blocking in the same over. Yeah, so. how things can change in yeah. the space of four balls. And we'll definitely come to Renshaw, who was another century maker on the day, but 18 test tons in 60 matches for David Warner. I know, Jeff, you're fascinated by the, the tons per test ratio. That puts him at just under one in every three, or just over, I should say, one in every yeah. three. That's truly elite. 3.2 is he at now? I've just the numbers disappeared out of my head. Well, 18 out of 60. Uh, three, three are not many. It's basically one in every three tests. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal rate, and he's deep in that top uh, 10 with Steve Smith and Eunice Khan, all three of them playing in that test match, all in that incredible test-to-century ratio. So... Uh, I, I imagine that would be unprecedented, that, that uh, three people in the top ten of that statistical ranking would have played in the same match. Yeah, it seems unlikely. I Maybe see. in like the second match. And uh, he only turned 30 a couple of months ago. So based on modern mm. trends, you think that he's coming into the prime of his career now. Right. So it, it, the question really becomes, where could David Warner's career finish? If he continues at the rate he's going, I know he didn't have a, a stellar 2016 by his own standards at test level, but um, based on the, the, the trajectory he's been going over the last five years, if he plays for maybe five or seven more years at test level, he could end up with some offensive numbers as related, you know, compared to other Australian openers. If you if you benchmark it at Matthew Hayden mm. with 30 test centuries, that he'll, he'll knock it over in the next couple of years. Well, yeah, I mean, at his current rate, say you, if you say, I don't know, a dozen tests a year and, and mm. maybe four test tons a year for another six years, he might be in his prime. So that, you know, that adds, what, 24 to the total. Um, you're taking him up into the 40s at that point. And it's then I mean, he could play on to 38 or, or 9 and probably wouldn't be quite as good a player, but he'd probably still make a few more hundreds. Uh, a player who's got plenty of time and we're not even in the same decade as Warner is, uh, is, is Matthew Renshaw, who just turned 20. Now, he was on 21 when Warner's century came up, going at the stri- mm-hmm. a princely strike rate of 25, which I loved as well. Love Renshaw it. didn't feel... Uh, the need to keep up with his opening partner. He was more no. than happy to play his game. They spoke both after play on day one about the uh, about discussing with each other the need for Renshaw not to do anything different. And I think that that speaks to his poise and, and confidence at this you know, early stage of his test career. Well, I think it also um, says a bit about David Warner taking on a leadership role in that Renshaw mm. said after play, he said, with a couple of overs to go, Warner came down and said, don't worry about the 100, don't think about it, just play. Don't let that affect your game, which is... Incredibly responsible, really. And particularly when Renshaw was probably under the vaguest amount of pressure due to the comments made pre-test. Darren Lehman wasn't really effusive in guaranteeing him a spot on the India Tour. That's that's a broader issue, which we'll discuss later in greater depth. But, you know, the idea that he could have easily came out there and, and lost his lost his way, especially the way Warner was going. They brought up mm. a 150 standard, which he had about 20 of or whatever it was. And, yeah. you know, it, it gives you a bit of a flavour of, uh, of the sort of character this guy is. He was pretty plucky and cocky after play too. And I don't know, yep. you don't always like that, but it feels feels authentic with him. I think it feels like 
you know, he, he's in keeping broadly with the, with his personality that he's going out there and addressing the media and, and doing all the relatively challenging mm. things for a young man to do and, and doing it without taking... He's not carrying too much pressure into those you know, no. media spots, for example. And also on the field, his his ability to, uh, you know, to, to develop his game has been proven over the course of just a few matches. Now, as you said, he was batting slowly uh, mm. until, say, he got to his 100. Then at that point, he got his next 50 or 50 balls. So yeah, his yeah. scoring rate picked up, his scoring range picked up. Suddenly he was driving through covers. So in Adelaide, for instance, when he debuted, everything was just off the pads or he played a couple of pull shots. Um, everything was on the onside. Very little, very little expansion, you know, in, in terms of there, there was no wagon wheel. There was a wagon spoke. That, that's right. It was Alistair Cook, Mark, too. Mm-hmm. He had about two players who hit the ball, especially around the corner on the leg side. The wagon wheel this time is, is quite elegant. At both sides of the, you look at it, you bring it up on your computer and you can sort of see that he does have the full range of motion, if you like, and can play around the ground, which is mm-hmm. pretty encouraging. It's 201 balls to get to 100. So you're right yep. there, Jeff, about how, how, how he did. It wasn't a rampaging knock after lunch or anything. No, but, but it was but still runnable to go to the 150 yeah. and, and then sort of going in overnight unbeaten and, and coming out the next morning, adding a few more, um, you know, having having us think about maybe making a double hundred, eventually done for 184. But that's still a massive century for such a young performer. I feel like I did him over there. I was looking up triple hundreds uh, when, <laughs> when he was on about 180, thinking to myself, oh, we could be seeing the youngest player to make a triple hundred and uh, no. within, within balls he chopped on. So I've Gun got, jumping. I've, I've got that as always. Uh, in between times, um, Kawaja and was out to a wavy drive on, on day one and uh, Yassir Shah was good enough to get one to bounce and clip Smith's edge for 24. Peter Hanskin was already on 40 by stumps. He just accumulates so easily when he comes to the yeah. crease. He's but, one of those players who you don't notice them scoring a lot that's of the right. time. Yeah. It's just like Steve Smith early. I, mean, I think when Steve Smith first started to really make a name for himself a couple of years ago, it was that thing where he'd end up on 30 or 40 before you'd even looked up and Hanscom's doing likewise at the moment and that mm-hmm. was what he brought into day two. It seemed almost inevitable he'd bring up his second test time at Sydney. It, just, it was it was just all of it too easy. It's what it felt to me. Yeah, I suppose in you know the match situation, the series has gone, mm. Pakistan's deflated. Given that they'd come so close to a win in Brisbane and then so close to a draw in Melbourne and and failed at both attempts, you know they, they were going into that last match two nil down when it could conceivably have been one nil the other way. So I, you know, they really weren't there for the match. They really weren't switched on aside from a couple of players and. Uh, it, it wasn't the hardest test match bowling that anyone will ever face. But I like Hanscom's ability to to change to the situation. He comes out and, and bats uh, differently depending on, on where the match is. And he does that without any seeming sort of excess of effort. It's not hard work for him to change up if he's plundering quick runs for the declaration or he's um, digging in in support. He's able to do whatever's needed. Yeah, it's actually, uh, I know this, sounds, this might sound a bit counterintuitive given he's made all these runs at number five, but he's kind of playing the role that they want at number six, a guy that can take a game away from the opposition. It was three for 365 mm. at Stumps on day one and the way he was able to push the score up to a, a level where fairly fragile Pakistan side, we're yeah. never going to get close to that. He looked so stable at the crease. They had to make some big selection calls uh, after the Hobart debacle and and they really have with Renshaw and, and Hanscom uh, done themselves a, a, a great justice. Yeah, there. I mean, I, I think the way that Hanscom builds in innings, he he reminds me of Mike Hussey in that mm. uh, that adaptability and and sort of almost being unnoticed while being so sturdy. So yeah, they've they've found a couple of gems. I guess Hanscom's been on the radar for a couple of years as someone who could have come into the setup earlier, but maybe they've done him a favour by giving him more time to develop and. 
you know, maybe it's worked well for Renshaw that his career is so new he hasn't even really had time to think about being a Shield cricketer um, and suddenly he's in a test match and, and maybe that means that he doesn't overthink anything. Uh, a couple of other Hanscom facts. He's still yet to be out for under 50 in a test match. Never we, been we, dismissed we without that. a half century. How's I li- that? I like the fact that he only hit nine boundaries in his century, which okay. again shows about his accumulation. Only one of those down the ground, so a bit like we talked about before with Warner. He was benefiting from some fairly ordinary Pakistan bowling. He just works around and, and runs really hard. He also batted with Hilton Cartwright, who was the other debutante in this game, or should I say the debutante in this game, Hanscom having to boot a couple of tests ago, who looked okay. First ball, cover drive, thrashing through the covers. He made 37, batted for an hour and a half, and you know, broadly speaking, looked the part. Sure, he didn't warrant six pages in the newspaper like when Usman Khawaja made 37 in the... What in, a 37, mate. In, oh. uh, in the uh, fixture. I know, Jeff, you talk about the 37 as much as, uh, as, much as most. And, as much as the Quiney 9. Yeah, as much as the Quiney 9, but, uh, but I don't think Cartwright's going to quite carry that um, reverence going forward, but none, no. nonetheless, it was, a, it, was a, it was an innings where you can kind of see how he could be the player, a player in the future who will play plenty of test cricket. And if ever there's a player who should be able to construct a beautiful wagon wheel, it's a guy named Cartwright. Yes, well, there you go. That's, uh, that's, I don't know how to, I don't know how to respond to that. That's right in your wheelhouse, right there, isn't it? Uh, wheelhouse, eh? Wheelhouse, hey, yes, hey. yes. Um, can I say though, Pete Hanscom getting declared on with a test average of 99.75. I was going to bring Come this up. On. I was going to bring this up later in Come the, on. he's unbeaten uh, 30 odd in the second dig or 40 or whatever it was yeah. we'll come to that. But yeah, he he, he one run short of having 400 test runs for four dismissals, which means that he would have ever so briefly been Peter Bradscombe. Yep, and as history has shown us, if Adam Voges has taught us anything, that's a great omen for a player, and yes. their career can only get better from there. Yes, uh, yes, that, 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 that second innings frolic was very enjoyable, but they had to bowl first, and that bowl first they did after they declared at 538 for eight. They had seven overs before tea. Shahjil on debut. I loved how they tried to give him his baggy Pakistan green cap before the test match, and his head was too fat to get into it. <laughs> a good sign for things to come. Yeah, and a great sign for his choice of stroke play as well. Yeah, yeah, he was loose. That's for sure. Renshaw took an assured catch in the slips off Hazelwood for four, uh, and then Babar was out straight after, straight afterwards to LBW to Hazelwood as well. So Pakistan two for sixteen at tea. Um, they they did go without losing a wicket in the final session of day mm-hmm. two, and then day three the rain came. So at that stage you might have thought, well, it's conceivable they'll be able to hang around long enough to force a draw. Yeah. But it, but really, all the wickets that fell on on the on the afternoon of day three. And pretty much made it assured, provided there wasn't any more rain that Australia were going to get a result. Yeah, look, I, I mean, in that in that wicketless last session, I think the thing that actually stood out was that Eunice Khan start, uh, actually looked really good for mm. the first time. Mm. He was suddenly in control of his his movements. He was stepping into the line of the ball with confidence rather than sort of seeming to be shuffling around and jumping about. And suddenly you thought, well, he's here. You know, he's showed up. Um, someone described him, uh, I think, on the, on the OBO as being a, a clicky player. You know, when he clicks... That then he's unstoppable, um, and he just seemed to click right from the start in that innings. Yeah, he did. He put on 146 with Azhar Ali, who made 71 and, and made more runs than any Pakistani in Australia. We should note that as well. Yeah, every, a in, a, in a test series. So he made no Pakistan players ever made over 400 mm. in a test series here, and he came along and did that. Um, batted tremendously well, and you know was probably robbed of a hundred here. Got run out by his partner on on seventy one. As Eunice batted with everyone falling around him, as has been become the custom in this series, he went on to make his thirty fourth Test century. It's a wonderful achievement for a variety of reasons, but not least the fact that Jeff he's now made more Test centuries than he has fifties. Well, yeah, I mean he he was he was at a risk when he passed fifty in this Test. He was at thirty three and thirty three. So it's one of those weird stats where if you succeed a bit you risk ruining your record. So if you're out for 35, fine. So he comes into this match with 32 50s and uh, 33 hundreds. 
So then he crosses 50. Now he's on 33 and 33. If he gets out now, he's buggered his record. So then he has to go on to make the 100. He has to convert. And he does so. But that, I mean, the incredible uh, numbers in his career, his conversion rate is just astonishing. He's, he's made 190 in 207 test innings. Yeah, and he's never made a pair. That includes and outs and not outs. And, and I think that's a 91 as well, or a 90 yeah. or a 91. And that, and that 91 was in his 16th test match when he was a young guy in New Zealand, and he was 91 overnight, and he nicked off the first ball next morning. You compare that to someone like Michael Slater yeah. or, or Steve Waugh, fantastic players in their own right, both. But I mean, they both had, I think, nine test match 90s each. Yeah, and, dismissals in the 90s. And I think Simon Kadic might have had seven of them as well. Yeah, so Watto had Watto. probably 18. Yeah. <laughs> you think about how different we consider a lot of those careers. Yeah. If, they, if they, you know, had a, had a, had a conversion rate even yep. close to what Eunice Khan has, well, absolutely, and and um, I find that unbelievable. That literally, that only time is when he's nicked off first ball the next morning. So it's not even a mm. nervous nineties thing. It's sure, a, you got a you're got on a seeming track game. facing Daryl Tuffy, and, and he got one to move away. What I will note from the end of day three was Nathan Lyon got one to spin back through the gate to Wahab Riaz and take his stumps. And wow, that's just one for the private collection, isn't it? You uh, you see that, and you just go, well, Nathan Lyon's going to watch that. Yeah, just dim the lights. Uh, Twenty years know. time, what you doing, Dad? Nothing. Nothing. Just just, uh, just watching. Just sitting DVD. in the study with the uh, the rear projection TV. It's cranked up. Got about four metres of screen there. He also picked up Mizbah Al-Haq swiping across the line like he had all tour, really. Mizbah probably shouldn't have come to Australia with the benefit of hindsight. He may keep going, though, because they want to go to the West Indies and, and win there um, for the first time ever, and Mizbah wants to lead that. But I hope batting. he keeps going. I hope he keeps going. I, I hope in he theory, me good. too. I love he's got to find a way to come good. I love Mizbah. I love everything about him. Everything he's done, but but he looked, um, he looked beyond it in this series. So he made 18 in that first innings before that rather dark dismissal. Uh, Eunice played on to 175 not out on day four before he was the last man standing uh, after more rain. But again, you know, just that, mm. just that capacity to just stay and stay and stay, much yeah. like he did at the Oval back in August. And I think what stands out to me is 3,400s. The only players ahead of him, what, Dravid, Sangakara, Ponting, Kellis, Tendulkar. That's it. I mean, he's they're, they're absolute stars of the game. But and yeah, nobody sort of thinks of Eunice no, Khan in that bracket. No one they? would put they him should. In, they wouldn't put him in that bracket. They wouldn't put him in the Next bracket below, or probably the one below that. But he scored his hundreds faster than any of those players. He's he gets three point three eight test matches per century over his career, which is better than any of those players ahead of him. It's a just an astonishing record that he doesn't get credit for, and he's made them all around the world, every test playing country, against every opponent, in all conditions. He's done it. And when you consider that he has played very few home test matches in that in that suite yeah. of results as well, you can only imagine what he may have been able to achieve. Um, had he been able to play in his home country. Hasn't done too badly in the UAE, though. That's true. You. Yeah, I was, I was, I, as I was saying, that, I'm like, he probably averaged about 70 in the UAE, so you know, he may have done well out of it as 300s well. 300s in four knocks against Australia in 2014. Yeah, including a nice big double there as well. So Australia decided to bat again despite their 223-run lead. They're not putting, the, they're not enforcing the follow-on, but why would you when you're going to have a, a frolic yeah, for a couple bother? of hours and you know you've got the firepower to bowl out Pakistan who were never going to put up much of a show. David Warner, just for the hell of it, made the second fastest 50 in the history of Test cricket. Fast. Australian. Just because, you know, that's what he does. And no one even talks about that. But, you yeah. know, nor should they. We're going to mention it now. Bloody good innings. It was. It was fun. <laughs> I mean, that was back to old Warner. That He was like, all right, mid-wicket, um, long on, slog the spinners, hit sixes, um, get bold, trying a massive heave-ho on 53 or whatever he was. I th- can I make a broader point here about yep. Warner? So we all look at um, when, when Warner got to about 30 or 40, he's on uh-huh. track for the fastest 100, which is 54 balls. Brendan McCullum in mm-hmm. Christchurch in February, the, the innings we talked about on the final word last edition. And I thought to myself, how regularly is that record going to fall in coming years? 54 mm-hmm. balls for 100 is not out of the ordinary at all in white ball cricket now in 2017. That 54 ball 100 will be broken repeatedly. Warner will do that before he finishes playing test cricket and so will probably a host of others. Possible. I, I suppose the key thing is that 
there's no limit to how many men you can put on the boundary, though. So it means essentially if you're going to break it in Test cricket, by the time you're on 50 off 20-odd balls, they're going to have seven back. But we've seen, And we've you need seen, to hit sixes. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We've seen that the acceleration yeah. usually is with over the rope as you get closer and closer towards right. 100. So Where I'm, I'm just making a broader play- point. Like, I guess the point I'm really making here is that when Warner went past 50, yeah. we weren't thinking, wow, we're going to see the fastest 100 of all time. It was, it was like, oh, yeah, we might, and that'll be okay, it'll be fine. Yeah. It wasn't anywhere near as big a deal as when McCullum did it back in Christchurch. I acknowledge mm-hmm. that there was some other stuff going on that day which made it even more exciting. And yep. even when Ms. Barr equaled Viv Richards' record a, a couple of years before that, my sense Because it was that, such an old record as well. Yeah, because yeah. You're yeah. going back to one of the greats and That's you're thinking exactly Richards right. and Ms. Barr? That's a, you know, just a weird. Imagine a sitcom starring those two. <laughs> <laughs> Classic odd couple. <laughs> Probably nothing much should be said. They're both fairly quiet. Types. Yeah, just <laughs> sitting at the front bar, sipping on a glass of water. It'll be about that. Um, so Usman batted through that second innings for 79 not out. Looked very good. He did, but the most significant talking point of Usman's innings was the the dab celebration when he got to a half century. Now I'd never, I must admit, I don't know what this says about me as a human being. I, I didn't have a clue what it was until uh, like good a good twelve hours afterwards after significant research. Is this something you're across the dab? No, not familiar with the dab. I, I thought it was a, a concentrated drug product um, <laughs> that they, they sell on the west coast of America. It's the, the only context in which I'd heard of dabbing, but that's a different thing. But now I'm glad that he did it, and I hope he does it again. It, it seems to outrage the right kinds of people. It well, felt like it hit almost the... nobody. That was the great thing about it. Is <laughs> like literally like about four idiots put tweets out going, "Oh, this is bad," and then news outlets embedded those tweets and yeah. read articles saying uh, outrage, shock, scandal. Um, also, and that, just shut up. And I also want to note that just the Telegraph up. in England said that Ian Chappell was one of those tweets. Of course, Ian Chappell is not on Twitter. It was a fake Ian Chappell account. And if anyone looked yeah. through and saw, he wouldn't have 220 followers anyway. It's Chappelle. He'd have 220,000. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, do, just do a little bit of a, a little modicum, a little cursory check. Maybe, I don't know, look for a blue tick. Maybe read through the timeline and see if most of the tweets are like angry racist things yelling at other people <laughs> on Twitter. I mean, probably not Chappelle. <laughs> probably, like, unlike. Yeah, so they they but all the same that did provoke a fair bit of news interest. I think it was probably the main talking point going into day five, not whether Australia would get a result or not, which by that stage seemed relatively inevitable. Shargil threw his wicket away on the cusp of stumps for forty odd. It was fun while it lasted, but geez, it was a reckless strike to get out to line just in the just in the shadow of stumps there on day four into day five. Yeah, but Australia. what do you expect? You pick a, a T Twenty slogger to be your opener, and, and not not in the David Warner mould where maybe there's a bit more classical cricketing sure. style behind it. Look, I love Shargil Khan in at, at the World. T20 last year. It was a joy to watch him punt 46 off 20 balls into mm. the stands. But, you know, he, he's a he's a heap-ho player. He's not a batsman. Uh, I, I acknowledge that's his game, but uh, nonetheless, it did look pretty ordinary. But And I just a note about actually going backwards before we go forward. Yassir Shah finished with two for 291 as his match analysis for this Ouch. game. The second innings was one for 124 from just 14 overs. That's in Mick Lewis territory of... Yeah. Um, you know, uh, absolute hidings on the international stage. He, he Apparently was, it was the worst economy rate for any spell over 10 overs. So uh, yeah, it would, it would have to be. Bryce McGain is safe now. Yeah, it would almost exactly all right. And shout out to Bryce McGain if you are listening. One for one, two, four was the analysis and he just got torn apart. To think that he was the number one ranked ICC bowler back in August to now, Osman, um, Sammy Uden on the, on the coverage of, uh, for ABC Grandstand made the point that this could define his career or at least it could have a significant impact on his career getting thrashed in such a way and it's hard to dispute that this was mm. a pounding of epic proportions it was but I, I suppose it's one of these things that you can box up and put into the conditions and say well Australian tours are tough you know Murali through an average 75 out here visiting spinners almost never find it easy almost never have success in a way why bother to bring them and you know Australians get 
absolutely torn to pieces That's true. in India as batsmen and bowlers, but we tend to box that up and say, well, that was India. It doesn't count almost. It doesn't affect everything else. Yeah, and the one bowler who did account for himself well over here, I think, through the course of the Test Series was Wahab Riaz, apart from that the big cra- bad wolf. crazy old spell where he overstepped 10 times. I think that on the whole, he was comfortably their best bowler. Mohamed Amir was injured by the end of the Test match, not able to take yeah. part in the second inning, so that was unfortunate for a man with a lot of expectations coming into the series. I think he bowled quite well, but he didn't get the rewards for he it. He bowled well in Brisbane and, and probably got worse as the series went on. He was one of their best batsmen, incidentally. <laughs> yeah, he played, was. played quite a few good innings. They would have done better than having more Muhammad Amir contributions on day five. They'll they'll get a they'll get let off the hook, Pakistan, for what happened on day five. End of a, a series where they were pounded, end of a test match with a, a degree of inevitability about the result. But they were dreadful across the board on, on day five. They they deserved to um, cop a decent whack for that. They were, there was definitely no VVS Laxman 1999 second innings, wondrous innings coming through that. And what's more, there was no application. I mean, even Mizbar, who batted for 90-odd balls, threw it away, uh, as did Eunice, when he was only just short of 10,000 mm-hmm. runs. I mean, the gold coin to get in for the Sydney patrons would have been all validated had Eunice Khan got to his 10,000th run, but he couldn't yeah. withstand the temptation and, either. And, and the weirdest part of, you know, those two, Mizbah and Eunice, the, the most experienced players by about 10 years, yep. throwing it away, trying to hit big on the but last they know, day. But they, but they would have known full well how to play for a draw. These, as you say, they're the most experienced this, this players by saying. a mile. But I, I, it just astonishes me. I mean, even before Mizbah held out, he, he hit several other sixes and big shots. He wasn't slogging every ball, but he'd sit there and block three overs and then he'd have a big shot. Now, what's the point? It's there's it's utterly redundant. You're not you're not attacking enough to throw a bowler off. You're just you're letting a spinner know that he's still in the game, and you're not the runs you're scoring are irrelevant to the result. You're not soaking up deliveries. It's just beyond comprehension for me that that's the way that you'd approach an inning. I was particularly filthy with with Eunice because I was lucky enough to see Alistair Cook, Kumar Sangakara, and Steve Ward get the ten thousand runs. I thought, see a fourth guy get here. Not, not a bad ratio, but. He of course uh, couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't leave it alone. Um, Babar was leg before to Josh Hazelwood. Now he was coming into this series was talked about being a prodigy, you know, compared to Virat Kohli. He made sixty six runs in in six hits. Tough gig home. though to yeah. to put him at number three in Australia for a young guy, very inexperienced. I don't think you could necessarily be surprised that it didn't work out. Bit of trivia: Jackson Bird took two catches on day five, which meant four for the match, the most ever for a subfielder in the history of the game. So he didn't get a game. In, usually they send the, the 12th man back to state duties or to something else or maybe BBL in this case. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he'll be glad he stuck around in the rooms for that extra week. The best part is they had him fielding at second slip for the spinners at one point. I mean, that's where he took one of his catches. Very good catch too. Very yeah. short catch there. Fast bowler the fielding at second slip to spin. Like, he does that very often. Maybe Jimmy Anderson would be the one time I can remember he, he, he goes, He slips to fast bowling, but does he slip to the spinners? Oh, I think he has from time to time, but mm. he'd be the only other... Modern example I can kind of right. think of. Terry Alderman used to field in the slips. Yep. Bruce Reed fielded in the slips. But we're going yeah. back a long, yeah. a very long way to think of another Australian bowler who, who's, who's regularly posted up at second or third slip. And I sure did enjoy it because there's this perception that fast bowlers can't field in the slips and they mm-hmm. can't mm-hmm. captain cricket sides. I want to see Jackson Bird captain next time, see how he goes as well. Yeah, just a sub-captain. Just yeah, come in as 12th right. man and be allowed to captain. That's yeah. totally legit, isn't it? The funny thing is I think he had two catches in eight test matches before that. And then he comes on as a sub, takes four, and they won't count to his career <laughs> oh, well, such is life. Uh, Asad and Safraz were admirable in their rear guard before they packed it in as well. I thought Safraz did all he really could do. You know, oh, there comes a point where it, it comes, you know, he had to go. Imran Khan comes out and Safraz goes, I need to make as many runs as I can off this over because I'm, that's it. And then he slogs 20 off and over from Nathan Lyon, gets to 72 not out, and he's like, have at it. You know, um, Imran Khan facing Hazelwood with a new ball. Ouch. Aren't going to last long. Uh, nope. So Hazelwood finished with three for 29 in the first innings. Uh, he took four as well. So seven for 84 across the match. 
That's another wonderful display. His economy rate, the one thing I want to highlight with mm-hmm. him across the test series, across the six tests, was 1.99. In the modern game, that doesn't happen anymore. No. Not, especially when you bowl the volume of overs that Hazelwood bowls. And I, yep. we go on about it in most episodes of this show, but he continues to be the most important bowler in the Australian setup. Yet when we talk about the, the, the Fab Four coming together, like potentially next year with Cummins and Pattinson both fit and available alongside Stark and Hazelwood, he's almost the, um, he's almost the Ringo Starr of that you know, arrangement, the, le- the least important <laughs> of the four. But, well, maybe there's something to be said. Jackson Bird's definitely the Ringo Starr. Well, maybe, there is the, maybe he's the Ringo Starr. Maybe he, you know, he's the rhythm. He's the rhythm man at the back of the, mm-hmm. back of the band. But all the same. Well, he's the survivor. He's you know, the one yeah. who's still with us. Yeah, well, there you go as well. But, but, he, but I think he's uh, underrated, if that's even possible, um, especially in the context of the, the wealth of fast bowling Australia has at the moment. I don't know, but he's been so effective. Yeah, going at less than two and over is kind of Sid Barnes territory. You know, <laughs> um, going back to ridiculous early levels of cricket where they played them on exploding asteroids or something. Uh, and Steve O'Keefe was also pretty encouraging with three for fifty three in the second innings. It's the first time he's played in the Test win in his four yep. attempts, and he was pretty happy about that. True, washed out draw last year. A loss in Sri Lanka, a loss in the Emirates. Loss in the Emirates, that right? yeah, yeah, that's right. So okay. he's finally got off the mark. Nathan Lyon took two for 100 after Safraz went after him at the, at the end, but I think he bowled pretty well in both innings mm-hmm. and really short up his spot on that Indian Also, tour. Steve O'Keefe, if I can say, his great contribution was his post-match interview, where uh, I think uh, one of the Australian commentators, I can't remember which one, Chris Rogers probably asked him, are you having nightmares about bowling to Virat Kohli? And Steve O'Keefe says... Oh, well, I uh, remember we, uh, people might not remember, but we played them in an Australia A game a couple of years ago and I got him out for 19, so I think it's the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> more of it. More, more of it. I mean, we said it before about Renshaw being plucky and punchy. Uh, Steve O'Keefe is a definition of punchy. Oh. He's, he's a very amusing individual. I was so. just waiting for 20,000 Coley fans to get hold of that and just oh, you know, yeah. pour out a torrent of abuse. Imagine him. what Twitter would have. Had yeah. they tweeted that out at the time, it would have been an absolute circus on the, yep. on the Twitter machine. Australia won by 220 runs. Hilton Cartwright wasn't even required the second time around he barely bowled really so just on his bowling mm. it didn't quite look test standard did it? No, it looked I mean they were pie floaters you know mashed peas bit of gravy like it, it yeah there was no pace behind it he was trying to bowl bounces at one point it was almost embarrassing I think you know Eunice kind of ducked out of just he was being generous he's like <laughs> okay I see what you're trying to do I'll go under it I'll know. do my bit you'll yeah. do your bit yeah, yeah, back can, to your mark we'll don't want to make again. it awkward you know <laughs> maybe just pitch it up next time hey yeah you put it in my area you, I'll give you a chance to get me out and I'll hit you to the boundary how's that yeah. sound champ yep. um, <laughs> India squad chat let's talk about the India tour which comes up in February February 23 to be mm. precise the first test match in Pune we assume they're going to take 17 we assume they're going to take three spinners we assume the 13 from the Sydney Test squad will go. So that kind of leaves four spots yep. with one spinner, potentially one quick as extra cover, yep. uh, and maybe uh, an extra batsman there as well. So you just unpack all of that. And, and, and Mitchell Marsh is the all-rounder you think is a likely inclusion as well. So, you know, you go through all of that. The extra spinner, at this stage, you think Lyon and O'Keefe are, are a lock. Mm-hmm. Ash Chenega, you, you, you know, given he's the incumbent, he would he would have to be the third spinner, wouldn't he? Yeah, I mean, listening to to Mark Waugh frothing over Agar's fielding um, in the Big Bash game last night, at least one of the selectors is pretty excited. Although Mark Waugh couldn't remember where he was batting on debut at Trent Bridge. He goes, oh, he came, well, he came in eight or nine, didn't he? And they're like, no, um, no 11. Like the entire point of why that's a good story <laughs> is that it was 11. Um, and you're the guy who picked him. And Lay off Mark You don't Wall. know that. I can't help Lay it. off Mark Wall. He Leave makes him it alone. too easy. He just, <laughs> he just leaves himself open. Uh, like, you've got to know that. You're a selector. No, no, I, I do indeed know that. Uh, the other one who will come in, I think he's, well, we'll have to, it'll be Sean Marsh. He'll, he'll, 
okay. he'll be taken. I think there's there's no doubt about that. The question is whether he gets picked in the first 11 ahead of Renshaw. That's tricky because yeah. Renshaw has made 184 after all, but Shaw Marsh uh, looks to be the sort of player who has a game more conditioned to playing in the subcontinent, albeit one that hasn't played in India before per se. But basing it off your Sri Lankan form, and that's probably as close as you can get, mm-hmm. he did make 100 in his previous start. Yeah, I mean, he also got picked in an Ashes test having made very... I played very few matches in England and then made yeah. a, a blob and a one. Yes, I um, remember that. <laughs> so that's not necessarily always a great idea. Look, I, I, I guess maybe the thing about Sean Marsh is he's more expendable. Um, and I can see both sides of this. You know, I can see the side that says Renshaw made a, a big hundred on a turning pitch and, and he's deserved it and he should be there. I can also see the side that says it may damage his career. It, it may damage his confidence. It may, you know, if he plays the first two tests and gets completely owned. Left-hander Ravi Ashwin turning it away makes four single-digit scores, gets dropped. Does that mean that he's damaged goods? You know, he, he, he's probably not going to play as well next time Australia goes round. Well, there's, but, a ben, there's a Ben Duckett comparison there. So Duckett yeah. went there and played the first two test matches after performing serviceably yep. for England in Bangladesh. And after two tests, they had to dump him. It yep. was, it was, it was uh, They could not keep him in the yeah, 11. Yeah, and, and, and it's and not a judgment thing. It's just a we need to try to win games. Yeah, thing. and I think the Duckett thing's more like for like with Madison, but all because they've yeah. got a similar game. But still, I think that, you know, the idea of taking Renshaw over there, getting the experience of being there and having him as the reserve bat, that's tempting to me. Yeah. That's te- and having Shaw Marsh, and yeah, you say expendable, but I also say just an older, more mature cricketer in the side. I, I can see merit in, in that in a horse. Of course, well, both. I mean, it, and I've, you know, I have said here before, Sean, I'd, I'd watched the innings he played in Colombo and he played terrifically well to make that 100 there. <clears throat> um, obviously, I haven't always been a fan of his inclusions, but no, I not. think no, he played a terrific innings. You've got to acknowledge that. Um, and it, it, it wasn't, the, it was probably the least difficult of the three pitches on that tour, but it, it was still a, a tough turning pitch against good spin bowling. Now, can he do that in India? I, I guess the conservative way of looking at it is if you take him, you play him, he's rubbish for a couple of test matches, then you can bring in Renshaw to replace him and even if they get to the end of the tour and Renshaw hasn't made runs, at least he doesn't get dumped and his sure. confidence isn't affected. It's a hard balance to make because you've also got to consider there's a Bangladesh tour likely to be rescheduled for August or September, a couple of tests over there. Yeah, that, that's, that's, as I understand it's going to happen. Similar spinning conditions, you know, similarly will be difficult for whoever's picked to open over there. So whoever does well in India will probably open mm. then. But then you're back to Brisbane for an Ashes Where Renshaw would be a more Where Renshaw, you would, mm. I mean, you'd be insane not to play him given what he's done this summer, mm. but... What's his best preparation? Also, if Sean Marsh opens, makes a bunch of runs in the subcontinent, are you then sort of obliged to bring him back and let him open in the Ashes? I don't know if it was you saying it to me or I read it somewhere else, but the idea of giving Matt Renshaw a gap year, um, let him let him go off and, and explore himself and learn a bit about himself. Just get on a Contiki trip, <laughs> yeah, okay. 17 European capitals in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, and, let, and let him let him finish <laughs> off in England and play some county cricket or grade cricket and you know yeah. be the club pro somewhere and... Uh, you know, be a bit of a legend and mm-hmm. learn a bit about himself before coming home. Yeah. I see merit in that as learn well. Learn all the words to common people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. you know, learn how to belt it out <laughs> on a Nottingham dance floor at 4am. I mean, these are important life experiences for yeah, a young man. And, and, yeah, and, and, he, and he, of course, he's from the UK originally, so he'll yep. be relatively at home there. So, look, uh, I think moving from the marsh, uh, one marsh to the next, Mitchell Marsh, to me, there's a logic in Hep From one marsh to another. Yeah, as Jared Waitley said last year, like any, mili- <laughs> like any military campaign, you want to be into the marshes. <laughs> Um, uh, but Mitch, Mitch was um, to me. It's common sense that he goes, but for a slightly different reason than, than most people are arguing. I, okay. I actually think that using, using the England example, what they did with Anderson and Broad, I don't know whether you want to play Hazelwood and Stark together in every Test match. Not because they're not Australia's two best fast bowlers, but 
how few overs the second seamer tends to bow in India. Before long, you're into long attritional spells by the two spinners or the three spinners or even indeed the four spinners if you play a, um, a batsman who can bowl some part-time as well, like a Travis Head or a Glenn Maxwell or something of that, of that variety. So in light of that, I, I can see a world where Mitchell Marsh would be a very competent um, second fast bowler. It does give your batting lineup a, a fraction more depth as well, or a considerable more amount of depth, actually. Mitchell Marsh is a, you know, usually picked as a batsman. So if he was to come in at eight or nine alongside a, a suite of spinners, it can only make the batting yeah. lineup deeper. He'll, he'll do a job which is in relative terms, not much less than what a second seamer would do anyway. And also, yep. crucially, you preserve the, the two quicks um, for their best effort a couple of times rather than trying to drag them out over, across a long tour. Well, I mean, we've also heard a lot about um, how the Australian team desperately needs this bowling all-rounder to support the quicks, i.e. coming into Sydney. Yep. They pick Cartwright for that reason. Belly he bowls bowl. four overs for the test um, and four overs of rubbish. So if that's what's required, even if it's eight overs in innings, whatever it is, you know, surely you can kind of milk that out of one of the top-order batsmen if if the level of bowler that you're picking is not going to be good enough. Now, Marsh is a especially, much Especially bowler. if Matthew Wade's in the side. Matthew Wade can come in and bowl and chuck, yeah. the, chuck the gloves on the Peter Hanscom. Yeah, exactly. Send down some vicious Seam as it's it. the next quickest bowler in the side. Bowls at over 130. <laughs> um, Bowls quicker than Kilton Cartwright does. That's for sure. The yeah, one time we've yeah. seen him bowl. We saw him bowl in Sri Lanka, against Sri Lanka a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. In Hobart, I think. But more to the point, I think Mitchell Marsh is, is a good, solid selection. Also, he didn't Mitchell play Marsh too poorly in Sri Lanka, and he also played very well in the UAE in his second test match at Abu Dhabi in 2014. He made 87 and, and mm. should have made 100. So, yeah, but I mean, that remains his highest test score. Yeah, and that's, and that's a problem, but I'm just saying that, you know, he, he's he, we at least know there is, a, there is a sample of him being able to play okay in those conditions. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him coming in, come in at eight or nine. You know, that would be quite handy. But, yeah. And he's a much better bowler than Cartwright, obviously. So I guess the question is, if you're saying they'll stick with the same 13 from Sydney, but if, if Mitch Marsh is going, Cartwright doesn't need to go. I think, they might, I think there's a world where they, the could, they could conceivably both go. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but, if they treat Marsh as a frontline scene, That's basically. right, yeah. So they treat saying, him as an extra bowler, yeah. So yeah, as you, much you, as he's a you essentially play Stark or Hazelwood and Mitch Marsh and then Spinners. And then you have Bird as your backup seamer. Right. Yeah, I can see that working well enough, but you know whether they go ahead with that. But the real spot of controversy is going to be what they do with this batting all round the spot, which they definitely will take someone. Yeah. To bat. So let's say they take the thirteen and two marshes. That takes you to fifteen. You've got yeah. two spare spots. Two spare spots of which one of them's a seamer. That's a good point. They might take both. They might take a wicket keeper. That's the first thing. But then again, they don't need to with Hanscom there. Yep. But the one to consider is how they're going to handle is Travis Head. Uh, Glenn Maxwell uh, debate. Now, right. you, you can see either of those guys going there and both have bowled serviceably and both have got experience bowling in those conditions and obviously both have been debated widely uh, their wherewithal yep. uh, playing at test level. But I think that Head will get the Guernsey, not, not Maxwell. I think mm. it's wrong, but I just feel like it's going to happen. Although I don't like the idea of seeing another left-hander in that order with... Again, with Ashwin on those home pitches. Might I mean, be the one he, thing that saves Maxwell. The he's been absolutely hand-handed. prolific, Ravi Ashwin, the last couple of years. Mm. I mean, he takes five for almost every time he rolls up to bowl. He's an incredibly consistent performer. So for you know, for him, you've already got Kawaji, Warner, Sean Marsh, potentially Renshaw if he plays. Yeah, one I of mean, the others going to be left-handed, aren't they? Yeah. Good point. Like a very, very left-handed batting order. You've made the case. Hopefully, you've, hopefully they're listening in right now and they, and they play Glenn and Maxwell. And Wade. 
Matt so, Wade, yeah. So in your top seven, in theory, you might have five left-handers, which would be six if head plays. Wade's in a very fortunate position to almost guarantee your spot on the tour now, but um, Peter Neville was taken to the World T20 as a specialist keeper. You couldn't rule yeah. out a last-minute change of heart there as well. Yes, give that one the old Jim Maxwell. Mm. That's right. Um, yeah, look, We Wade. need a smoky. We need a smoky. So who, who, every tour Australia oh. goes away. There is and Remember Andrew Feckety? He was yep. going to go to Bangladesh. Yep. I don't think we've ever heard about him ever Remember, again. hashtag must go. Must you know, go. Someone out of the big bash. Chris Lynn could be a, Lynn, a shout. Chris Lynn's a, not a bad smokey if he makes a ton of runs in the, in the one, in day, the one day side. Noting, of course, that Chris Lynn is playing less and less first-class cricket. He's got injuries he carries and all yeah. the rest. But, but he's still got a very good first-class record. He does, yeah. It's whether he can get through five days of cricket, I think, is the real question mm-hmm. to him. But but still, if he makes plenty of runs for Australia in the limited overs comp, I can, I can see a world where he'll want to go. And he's a right-hander. <laughs> and he's a right-hander. And he's a game-changer. Mm, for number six. For number six. Yeah, that's what we're all about. That all adds up. and. <laughs> We need a, I, 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 heard a, I heard a whisper flat around last week they were going to pick young Will Pekowski for the one-day side, uh, which is obviously ridiculous. But um, yep. it was a completely ridiculous whisper. But it was like, it, that, you know, the idea that they're going to pick an 18-year-old just to kind of, you know, throw it out there. Massive you know, Greg Shaffle move. That t- one. T- it would have been a terrible decision. <laughs> and, of course, it's bung male. But nonetheless, um, you know, a smoky of that variety would be amusing. But I don't, I don't think there's anyone kind of on that. If they do take 18, though, they, they might take an extra play just for experience. I thought Sam Harper, the wicketkeeper, might not be a bad shout for that. Taking him along just for the experience of being in mm. India for two months and learning to keep in those conditions with the Australian squad. Right, so if like the number of players in the squad is the same as the age of the last player that you pick. <laughs> then... All the same. It'll be interesting when they name that squad, which will have to be in the next couple of weeks before they go on that long preparatory camp in, in, uh, in the United Arab Emirates where they're playing mm-hmm. a tour game and they're playing a tour game in Mumbai before that first test on 23 February. It just occurred to me that Ms. Farrell Hark was probably playing international cricket before Matthew Renshaw was born. Yeah, Eunice, Eunice Khan would have been. I'm not sure where the Mizbar was. Cause he might Mizbar, not have been in the setup at that point. I can't quite remember. The, yeah. Uh, but, he, you know, it wasn't. Cha- well, Eunice played his first international game in 1999. So where does yeah. that leave Renshaw? He would have been born in... Uh, yeah, well, he must have been born in, in 16. But put it this way, Shahid yeah, Freddy comes back at some point and then, 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 you'll, then you'll have a player that's older than Matthew Renshaw's lifespan. But taking sort of a broader... Pencil, Can't rule it out. You know, Shahid Freddy's never played the rule-in, rule-out game in his life. No, never will. But he might be captaining Holland next. Like, you just don't know. Before we finish talking about the Australian men's side, let's just quickly reflect on the summer that was. It has been six test matches and mm-hmm. there has been a lot going on. And it's been a mm. bizarre experience, really, when you consider that... You only need to go oh, back yes. six weeks and we're talking about the greatest crisis in the modern history of the game in this country. And, and now they've won four in the spin and, and all's relatively well. Although I think that is, I think most people are catching that with the idea that there's a long road ahead with India followed by Bangladesh, followed by the Ashes. We could be back to square one relatively quickly. Followed by some comfortable illusions. I mean, if it had been a five test series against South Africa, then, you know, things could have gone back the other way pretty quickly. Sure. Um, they didn't play too badly in Adelaide and... Uh, lost a relatively tight contest. Imagine if Asad Shafiq had made another 35 runs in Brisbane yep. and got him over the line there. It would have been, you know, it would have been absolute crisis, crisis, crisis. It would have been this is the most humiliating loss in the history of Test cricket. Record run chase. Our pathetic bowlers couldn't even get these chumps out. Yeah. All their tail enders made runs, blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean, so often it just comes down to the outcome, you know, the the old difference we've often talked about, the lofted six over long off. Oh, great counter-attacking, he's taken back the initiative versus idiotic shot, what a chump, because he, you know, it fell a metre short and got caught. Think about the collateral damage of this summer as mm. well. Adam Vosges, you need to go back that far when he was a mainstay of the Australian middle order in terms of his numbers and his contribution mm. in New Zealand and, yep. and and his batting average and all those sorts of things. And it's almost fortunate that he did get concussed when he did and wasn't available because he avoided the indignity of being dropped, but also it's 
extremely unlikely we'll ever see him in the baggy green again. No, I mean, I'd say impossible given given the age. You know, even if he had a 2,000-run season from here, I think they'd pass on. Yeah, and but I, but I, you know, again, it's it's one of those great stories. You, you feel for him. Like, you you know. feel for him on one level, on one hand, but also he did that all at the age of thirty five, thirty six, and had and, a great run. You know, and a wonderful run. He's got yeah. some tremendous memories to take from his brief stay in the game. So I think that you know most people, yeah. will, he, he'll feel in five years' time he'll be pretty happy with his life. He can life. print out and laminate um, a card with you know, say the top ten batting averages in Test cricket, and he can just carry that around in his pocket. Yeah, just go. Yeah, I went all right. Have a, have a read. Second most prolific average in the in the history of Test cricket for those that played twenty innings or more. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't take that away from him. Even people like uh, Ferguson and Many, who came in for that Test match in yeah. Tasmania, I mean, they're, they're going to be probably one Test players. Many's a greater chance of playing again than than Callum Ferguson, but uh, but all the same, it's unlikely either of those. They'll be always linked to that Hobart debacle. Yeah, and just you know, the summer of scrambled signals. You know, Ferguson's the next one in, and and then suddenly he's what too old or a liability or something. I mm. mean, very good player, and if they'd kept him for. For Adelaide, for a pink ball test, you, you couldn't have begrudged them. But then, I guess Hanscom got that spot and, and made the most of it. Yeah, so, it's a bit of a two out of three ain't bad sort of thing. I, I try with, to with look at guys. it. I try to take a positive spin and say, well, at least Callum Ferguson got a baggy green cap. You know, yep. at, at least he played a test match. Yeah, not, not, not many people have done that. Four hundred and fifty guys have played for Australia. You know, yeah, it's I'm, a pretty good club. I'm I'm pretty sure again when he looks back on it. With the benefit of hindsight, he'll know that as You'd well. You'd rather have that than be, you know, Jamie Siddons and never get picked. Absolutely, absolutely. So we talked about um, uh, Peter Hanscom and Matt Renshaw in greater depth earlier, but they, they did make it. They did miss with Maddo. I think that's fair to say. Nick Madison, yeah. he'll be back. He's a quality player. He's class. It's just that he didn't take his chance when he had it. But he's going to be around for a long time. Yeah, I just thought it was scrambled logic. What they picked him, you know, why they picked him, the reason they the wrong they time to, to have him. picked him. Yeah, you know, what yeah. was it for? It just didn't make any sense. There were other more qualified players for that spot if you wanted someone to do that job. Yeah, it's like Curtis Patterson, someone relayed to me last week. Patterson's gone from averaging 30-odd to 40-odd to 50-odd, whereas Madison's always kind of averaged about 35. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, Matt average is a blunt instrument, but yep. on a trend level, he's done nothing more this year or last year, which right. would you know, suggest he's more equipped for Test cricket than he was um, when he made that yep. 100 in, in, in the Australia A Tour back in 2013, which was the last time there was a push for him to um, be given a baggy green. So they missed out with him. Hilton Cartwright looks like a sound enough investment for now. He's as good a chance as any to make it, you'd think. Moving on to the spinners, Nathan Lyon uh, looked... Um, we managed to survive after he looked like he was gone halfway through that boxing oh, day. He looked match. like he was gone multiple times through the summer. He was going to be dropped after Hobart, got reinstalled because of an injury. That's right. Um, then he was sort of almost going to be dropped for Brisbane. Then they changed... Four, they went from that. four quicks to Latham on the last minute. Yeah, yeah, exactly, at the last minute and took wickets there. Then he was going to be dropped halfway through the Melbourne test and then took the crucial wickets on the last day to set up that win. So, you know, probably the last test of the summer was the only time where he didn't feel like he was about to be given the arse. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, next summer. I mean, it's a long way away with a lot of test yep. cricket to go, but hypothetically, if there was one more test this summer and it wasn't mm. at Sydney, what they would do with O'Keefe and Lyon. But Lyon has been the beneficiary of the fact that they will take two spinners now. So, And you know who has a very good Ashes record against England in Australia? It's Nathan Lyon. He does indeed, having won that test match at Melbourne three years ago. Now, a couple of that was three years ago. Um, David Warner in, in, in Sydney sort of reinforced his status as a potential great. Steve Smith, um, he did the right thing in Hobart. I think we can kind of gloss over that he was the guy who did manage to account for himself well in both innings at Hobart, and he was rewarded later um, with, with a pair of centuries at, at, at Brisbane and, and at Melbourne. But um, in between times, he well, earlier on, he would have made 100 or so in Adelaide. It would have been three in a row, if not for the fact that he was run out there. Um, Kawaja comes away with sort of admirable 
numbers after a couple of significant innings, especially in Adelaide. But his mm. biggest test is ahead of him, isn't it? Yeah, look, I would say so. He's 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 got to find a way. Uh, he, he looked just lost in Sri Lanka. So can he do anything in India? You know, left-hander again on on those pitches. Could have had a couple more hundreds this summer out for ninety-seven twice. But he's certainly shown his class against seam bowling. It, it remains the case. Well, it's also the case rather for for Matthew Wade. He. He will retain his spot, I think, but it's like he's permanently dining at Last Chance Cafe. But he's just, I mean, he's spilled so many chances in the last three tests alone in Australian conditions. I yeah. just, I don't think it's tenable. I don't think, you know, I, I've had a go at him a few times and I feel like maybe I'm being a bit of a unpleasant person about it. Um, he's, he's a good cricketer in a lot of ways, but you just can't keep picking a guy who keeps missing stumpings particularly, which he's missed a few in the last few games and, and drops fairly regulation catches. Especially when, and it's, they will never do this, but Peter Hanscom looking so assured back there as well. Yeah, um, I mean, they shouldn't. They shouldn't. They should Hanscom, do that, put that pressure on but him. But you want a proper gloveman. You want Chris Hartley. You want, you want Peter Neville. You want someone who, who has lived behind the stumps and knows exactly how to do it. In saying that, Johnny Bairstow now keeps for England and he was in a similar spot to Pete Hanscom. That is, he was picked as the batsman first and he was given the chance to be a sub-keeper and, and one thing led to another and Bairstow's had the most prolific year out of anyone in Test cricket last year. So I, I guess there'll be that They'll, they'll look at that. There'll be a sideways look at what he did in Sydney and think yeah. that he probably. But I'd also look at look at the career of Kumar Sangakkara and how yeah. much he flourished when he didn't have to keep wicket at the same time. Alex Stewart, likewise, is the obvious example there. How much better he was as a batsman when he didn't have that responsibility with the gloves. Um, the fast bowlers almost set and forget time, wasn't it? I mean, they had fine summers, Hazelwood and Stark. We spoke about Hazelwood before, but Stark as well. He he did maybe just just tail off a, a fraction at the at the very end, but he was the crucial bowler at both Brisbane and Melbourne at the, at the perfect time. Yeah, well, he basically won two test matches on his own on the last day with the pressure on so you know he was able to ease up a bit for Sydney and didn't uh, looked looked fairly tired there but he got through his aim playing six tests on the spin and making sure he played Boxing Day and all the rest of it I kind of feel sorry for Jackson Bird he couldn't have done much more this summer since coming back into the Australian side each time he's played he's got better and better yet there's no chance he'll play in India and there's even less chance he'll play in Bangladesh and it's probably if Pattinson and Cummins are available for the Ashes he might be he might he may have I mean it's crazy to say this but he may have played his last test match yeah, look, that, I think, that's incredibly I th- harsh. But... I think injury is always going to be enough of a factor for Australian fast bowlers. Sure. That, that if you're someone who's relatively durable like him, um, you're you're gonna you're gonna be at least in the conversation. You know, he's kind of taken the Peter Siddle role now, where he's he's always the next guy who's ready to come in. But he's shown his quality, um, and I think he was unlucky to be left out for Sydney. As for the ranking. I don't know where Australia's test side are ranked right now, and I'm not sure I really care either. They have ranked everywhere in the top five or top six or whatever it is this year after getting the mace in New Zealand. They'd lost it two test matches later in, in Sri Lanka. That's... Give him the mace. <laughs> Remember they gave him the mace yeah. in Sri Lanka in, in secretly? Secret in a bunker because yeah, the Sri Lankans didn't want to be upset by the fact it's they just... were playing the scary world number one team who they completely pogoed. I'm, I'm pretty sure the Australian public judged the Australian side by how they are going to go in the Ashes next year, and, and to a lesser extent, but also um, in, in, in the immediate term, how they play in India, of course, having won once there since 1969 or once since the Beatles were around, as I like to, I like to use the reference point. Smith won't be a new captain for those series either. He's kind of no longer the new guy. He's now the established captain. He should be the prime of his career. I, I think the bar will get higher for him. I don't think he'll get away with sort of like he's an emerging captain anymore. I think like he kind of got a bit of that after Brisbane. It was like, well, you know, he may not have nailed the mm. last day with, when it came to tactics and whatnot, but they yep. scraped out of it and, you know, he's learning. I think when he goes to India this year, there won't be much sympathy for that and definitely not when England come here next year. He's also making an absolute shed load of runs, which helps a lot does. to take the pressure off you as a captain. So, you know, when he's scoring a 100 every 2.8 tests or whatever it is, 
um, a little hard to be critical. And, and he, uh, I thought it was quite clever from him when he was asked directly whether they can win in, in India. He, he didn't answer the question. So, I mean, you know, he, he's aware enough that this is a uh, an enormous task ahead of them in the subcontinent in February. Uh, and I think he just kind of knows yeah. that like the, the, the practicalities of winning over there with the side he's got, a young, inexperienced side with limited, limited, mm-hmm. limited um, you know, yeah. time over there to draw from. Uh, that that you know, if they were to win over there, it'd be one of the great miracles of modern cricket. You know yep. what I mean? It'd be, it'd be unprecedented almost as far as this, this sort of inexperienced side. It, it's got to be Smith and Hanscom have you know five hundred run series, and Mitchell Stark takes thirty wickets. You know, and then maybe they're a shout. What it has certainly been, Jeff, is a fascinating, enthralling summer of Test cricket. This is the final word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins, ABC Grandstand. You're back on the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. We've had an enormous amount of women's big bash cricket in the last couple of weeks, Jeff. It's like we've had uh, mm. games every single day since New Year's Day. And, yeah, multiple uh, games uh, some uh, days. Multiple games some days. We've got 15 games to go out of the 55 group games, and it's kind of shaking out now. We know who the, 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 the premier t- teams in the comp are, and we know who the strugglers are, but it's... But it's been a bit quirky as far as the way the points of point system mm. is because we've had some the, the Melbourne Renegades are effectively back in town having won their last three games, but yep. they lost half a point, which in the context of the WBBL may as well be a game. Yep. Likewise, the Sydney Thunder they've lost a point for poor over rates as well, and they are now back in the middle pack when they actually have won more games than the team that's below them. Yeah, well, so I mean this this weird thing down the bottom of the table where you've got the Thunder have won four and got. Eight points, even though they've got a no result as well. Um, the Strikers have won three and had two rain offs and got eight points, and the Renegades have won four and have seven and a half points. So Adelaide uh, have the same number of points as a team that's won more games and more points than a team that's won more games. Work that out anyway. Yeah. It's a, it's I understand why they have to dock them points and not money because of the, the limited salaries that are around for the WBBL. But all yeah, the same, if they it don't does... do it in the men's comp. They shouldn't do it in the women's. Yeah, they're, they're... It just needs to be consistency across the two. You don't lose points as a men's team. You get fined. So you know if if there's going to be it should be an on-field penalty or if there's a points penalty it's got to be across both leagues. It is encouraging that even the Renegades, uh, at, with seven point five points, are still broadly in the comp. With mm. I guess they've got four games to go. That's right. uh, the Sixers are at the very top of the ladder. They've they've won seven of their ten games. Uh, they did the double over the Strikers and they did the double over the Scorchers. Yeah. So Sophie Devine wasn't there um, against the Strikers, which was mm. a significant out. She was playing domestic cricket in New Zealand rather than playing. Um, for the strikers, inconsistent with consistent rather with the deal she'd struck with her home board and her home club, and 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 the, and the Sixers did it easy, but um, probably more noteworthy for the Sixers over the weekend was that they were able to draw on this secondary support. They had yep. a whole series of players who, um, who who made contributions who weren't Elise Perry and weren't Alyssa Healy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, those two had one big game up the top of the order with a big partnership there, but when they failed, you know, Ash Gardner came through and, uh, you know, well, she's just got the gong for the Young cr- Women's yep. Cricketer of the Year. Um, of course, Sarah McGlashan's done it a billion times for them. They're Bowling's been pretty varied. So, I mean, Marizan Cap is, is impossible to get away. No one scores off her. But then she's going to disappear to play a, a series against Bangladesh for the national team. But, you know, they've got Sarah Alley in there bowling terrifically well. They've got uh, uh, Smith's taken, oh, Paul Stackerwick's about six wickets in two games there. Yeah, yeah. Four for 13 the other day. At the SCG, under, you know, the pressure of playing on the, on the big ground, she did very well there, Lauren Smith. After At one stage, it looked like the Perth Scorchers were going to get well back in that game in the middle order when, when Heather Graham was at it. Um, but uh, and Sarah Alley as well took wickets in both games, made the winning runs. She's looking pretty good. So they got this secondary, if you like, which hopefully yeah. will be enough to cover for Marizan Cap, who you said before is going to. And Vanekirk will da- go as da- well. Vanekirk, that's right. So they're both going off to, to to meet their international commitments, which is unfortunate that they'll miss the last four games, but they will be back for for the yeah. final series. And that, and it seems very likely with seven wins, they've pretty much already locked that up. Beth Mooney's back yeah. as well. 
back amongst the runs, uh, 75 not out, 78 not out in a couple of games. Yeah, I know she's your fave, Jeff. And she, she's um, suddenly gone to second in the league in terms of runs scored. Yeah, yeah, and, and, she, and she, uh, she made a 50 a couple of weeks ago, but a, a, a whole spate of low scores there. So um, it's, it's good to see her back uh, contributing. And she's found an opening partner as well, because uh, DeAndre Dotton was always batting down the list, but they needed to find someone else to mm-hmm. score heavily. And Kirby Short seems to have played that role, but she added 63 yeah. and 86 with her respectively. Um, DeAndre Dotton, I heard a little whisper yesterday that DeAndre Dotton's season may not be entirely over. Okay. It's conceivable that she'll be back by the end of the season. So just keep an eye on that one. Terminator style. Uh, for the time You're watching being... the truck burn and then suddenly out of the flaming wreckage, <laughs> it's Deandra Dutton. Her flesh has melted away, but the steel plates in her face are still there. But that's, that's legitimately what they, they put. They put plates in her face in there yeah. after that. that oh, that's yeah, a yeah. horrific injury, wasn't it? Plates in your face, London. <laughs> Uh, Lauren, I, that was a callback to an earlier area. Uh, Lauren Winfield's in the side at the moment from the Brisbane mm. Heat. Anyhow, uh, have a Winfield. Yeah, sure. I'm sure she doesn't get that very often. She probably doesn't coming from Yorkshire. She probably doesn't get many gags about cigarettes, the Winfield cigarettes there, but maybe she does. She's um, she's uh, was just touring around Queensland on holiday, uh, and they said, you know yeah, what? How good's that? Like, what, like a backpacker job? <laughs> she's like, yeah. well, I could pick fruit or I could play for the Brisbane Heat. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to play for the Heat. I'll get your two-year visa that way. Um, so she, she's back in, in the frame now. She had an excellent season. What's the backpack England. attacks on her season? Yeah, good question. We should find that out. Mm-hmm. We should ask the minister for the assistant minister for taxation or whatever it is. Um, but the, uh, the, the, the broader point here is that she had a fantastic season for England last year. She made her first century um, out at, where were we, Worcester. So she's a pretty good pickup for the Brisbane Heat. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, the Thunder and the Hurricanes were, were in that mixer with those two playing each other yeah. in Western Sydney and, and in Hobart. So the Thunder have got this problem where they can't string two wins together. Right. They haven't strung two together all season. They, they, were, they were beaten twice this weekend after having wins. And they, it feels to me as though they're, they're just hanging on in their title defence. Yeah, I reckon. I mean, Blackwell's been very consistent, but yep. she's probably the only one. You know, Harmon Preet's come and gone a bit. Um, the bowling hasn't really been up to it. I mean, there's just been some pretty lacklustre uh, performances coming through from the defending champs. And with the ball as well, they, they conceded 171 to the Hurricanes in yeah. Launceston, which is the biggest score in, in the comp so far. So Aaron Burns made 46, Heather Knight made 47 in about 10 minutes. Amy Satterthwaite, crucially, made 32 not out. The reason I raise her... Um, is that she's back from her New Zealand commitments as well, so mm-hmm. she's a significant contributor to the yeah. to the uh, to the to the Hurricane side. So took two wickets as well, and the, and the big number of extras in that innings tells you that the Thunder bowlers are off. You know, twenty two extras. I think they bowled a lot of wides and no balls, and, and yeah, that can be the difference between a one fifty and a one seventy. Yeah, it certainly can, and and, the, and they carried, they carried that form through to the next game as I well. I mean, it's Hurricanes. mathematically exactly the difference between one fifty and one seventy. <laughs> like, I don't need to be so broad about it, but yeah, it, you just can't give away free runs like that. No, and, and and to be fair, we've we've seen less extras in in WBBL too, so that's a bit of an outlier. But all the same, it did. did yeah, I mean, just just a really it. horrible day with the yeah. ball, essentially. Does happen, but they ca- they carried the form with the, well with the bat into their next game with the ball. So they played the heat. They got Mooney out for nothing, and that was a good effort after she made seventy five not out the previous time. And it was uh, Hayley Matthews, five for nineteen. Mm, love that. Um, who, who bowls su- serviceable off spin without being a star? Yeah. Uh, and and she's taken the first fifer for the competition in season two. Yeah, I mean, hasn't been a regular bowler really, but this season started being thrown the ball a lot more. And uh, you know, I just like to see her expanding her her repertoire. Yeah, she um, she had a she had another influence in the comp this week in the men's comp. Where she lent her bat to Carlos Brathwaite, uh, her fellow her fellow Bayesian sensation, shall mm-hmm. we say? And they they share the same bat sponsor, uh, Georgia Redmayne. Um, I want to talk about as well. So yep. she made sixty four not out for the Hurricanes in that chase after Matthews took her fifer. Redmayne, as we talked about on the pod before, she was playing club cricket in Western Sydney, couldn't get a contract for WBBL number one, and now she would be the just. 
just about the informed player in the comp, if not for the fact that um, Beth Mooney just made a stack of runs this weekend and Alyssa Healy keeps contributing. If not for those two, mm. um, she, she'd be someone we'd be talking about just about for international contention, given the volume of runs she's made since coming into this side and certainly what she did in the WNCL as well. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that Meg Lanning's at the top of the list with an average of 55. Oh, I mean, more as wicketkeeper. I mean, oh, I'm sorry, talking more in, in a keeper yeah. context, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, she's she's done terrifically well and, and just glad to see her get picked up and to see these players who aren't the household names coming in and, and getting a gig. Um, I think Adelaide's cooked, basically. They they just have looked terrible. You know, if, if Sophie pulls out a special, then... They do well, and if she doesn't, they don't. Yeah, that's right. So we've got, um, out of those three teams we mentioned there, the Hurricanes are on five wins, the Heat are on five wins, and the Thunder are on four. So they're, they're kind yeah. of the middle pack. And down the bottom, it's kind of a weird one, really, because the Stars are almost, in a way, not in that group anymore because they won on their last fixture against the Adelaide Strikers at the MCG. That was a fascinating game. Meg Lanning, who, of course, is the uh, is the, is the GOAT. She's the, the greatest player on the planet by some margin. She... Um, did a hamstring two minutes before the game started and had to be replaced by a younger sister. But yep. it, didn't matter, it didn't make a difference because they smashed the strikers, didn't they? They bowled them out for 94 and made the runs with relative ease. Nice to have a, a little good moment for, for Anna. She was you know, notable last year for um, getting two diamond ducks in a row. Yeah. Stumped off a wide and then run out at the non-strikers. So that's right. Two noughts for zero balls. That's hard. Um, came in, was not out in this game, scored the winning runs, and you know it's a little bit of a happier feeling for sister of Meg. Katie Mack as well, making 31. One of your favourites, Jeff. They got beaten by the Renegades under the roof of the Docklands uh, earlier in the weekend, though. So the Renegades did the double against them. Uh, that's a good effort from the Gades to, to knock off the Stars twice. But in particular, I want to note Danny White making 40 and 43. Across the across the weekend, and also um, against the Scorchers when they chased out a big total there, um, it was Grace Harris back in town. Now Grace Harris was meant to miss a significant amount of cricket with a bung shoulder. She yep. came back batting number six and made thirty nine in seventeen balls, and that was uh, you know that was the that was the crucial contribution in beating the the highly fancied Scorchers out there in Turak. Yeah, well, exactly, and and more importantly, I think for the Renegades is the fact that they've won two run chases because they've uh, you know messed up so many run chases this season and and last, and you know if their batting can get together, they can still make a run. So, what's well, still got uh, another? Four games to go, do we, each for each side? Yeah, it's four for each team except for the Stars and for the Strikers, who have five. But, I mean, still, the Strikers are still fairly way back in the pack. They need to win pretty much all of those games from here, I think, given the way the other results should shake out. This week we have games in Perth at Lilac Hill. Uh, that's where the uh, the Scorchers are hosting the Strikers and the Stars. In Sydney, mm-hmm. the Sixers have the Hurricanes in town. They also have the Sydney Smash against the Thunder. That's on television on Saturday yep. in Brisbane. TV numbers have been good. 275,000 yeah. average. 275 that? average up from 231,000 last yep. year. So that's a pretty decent spike there. They've had 4.6 million page impressions on the CA website for the highlights as well. So I'm not sure how they measure that, but it's a, it's a huge Probably number. Probably about... Half a million of those would have been me and you. But. Yeah, that's true. We, we do watch a lot of the live stream on there in the highlights. Uh, in Brisbane, the, the, the Renegades uh, are travelling up there for, and, and the Brisbane Heat, of, of course, are hosting them. Uh, and the last re- games that are around are in Hobart. So that's the, the Hurricanes who host the Thunder. A bit of a job lot there of games. But the point being is that we've got 15 games left in the regular season. It's relatively tight. The Sixers are away. The Strikers are in trouble. And everyone else is still in there with a fighting chance. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. ABC Grandstand. Final Word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Of course, the Big Bash is at a really interesting stage of the season. This is the part of the year where you get um, players leaving for international commitments, especially the Australian limited oversight. We've also got the complication of England playing one day in India. So that's affected significant 
amounts of player movement at this particular juncture, but not least yeah. the Brisbane Heat, who are flying now they've lost the insanity. Well, I mean, particularly, and they were playing Perth last night. I mean, Tim Bresman rocked up. I haven't seen him. I don't think he's played cricket since September. <laughs> um, back in back in the county stuff, and he's not in the England uh, national setup. But Chris Lynn is in the Australian national setup, and he was watching on last night. It, it's a. I'm really conflicted about this one. I, I just think the timing's all wrong to have the ODI series at this time. You've got all this momentum. You've got Lynn Sanity. You've got the Bash brothers with McCullum. They're becoming this little cult thing of people. Not even cult. You know, mainstream people are loving them. They're a sensation. And then you go, oh, by the way, we're going to break that up, rip out this guy who's been you know, the best run scorer of the series, put him in the one-day setup. Players getting promotion to the national team, I'm all about, but it's almost less prestigious than, than being the dominant side in the Big Bash at this point in terms of public attention. Oh, I'm sure that's going to become part of the discussion about scheduling going forward. I'll be, I'll be astonished yeah. if we're in a situation in two or three yeah. years' time where the one-days are clashing with the BBL so expressly because and you have the other the national benefit... team sabotaging this, this high-quality domestic Yeah, and, and, and it's only the, fr- the, see, the fringe players from the, from the national side are the stars of the BBL. The, yeah. like, the BBL isn't there for David Warner and Stephen Smith and others who aren't alive. Yeah. A club anymore. It's 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 there for the Chrislins of this world to um, elevate themselves yep. to the national stage. And when they get there, they're they're, they're pulled from the BBL. So there seems right. some you know some injustice there. About it's just counterintuitive. You know, although the clubs do prepare for this with their squads, they intentionally prepare squads yeah. knowing that these eventualities will. But come. basically, the better you play, the more likely you'll get punished. You know, as with the Melbourne Stars last year, when suddenly Scott Boland and, and John Hastings were pulled out. You know, the, right. this terrific death bowling pair who were bowling so well. Oh, you're in the national side. Whoops, you've got no bowlers. Yeah, it was a fairly anemic chase from the Brisbane Heat last night. They were yep. only about 129 chasing 156. As usual, Michael Klinger 81. One off 54 balls. He should be the the captain of the Australian side that plays against Sri Lanka um, in that in that series that clashes with the Indian uh, Test matches, shouldn't he? Yeah, odd moment last night. So Klinger was mic'd up um, out in the field, and Darren Lehman was on commentary for the for the big bash. So you've got the coach and and a selector. You know the guy basically that Klinger's auditioning to for the gig, um, chatting to him about oh what a good catch that was. He took a cover, or you're a bit puffed, you know, a bit out of breath, or. It must have been awkward for Klinger, sort of thinking, well, you know, like... What must, what, what must Lehman think of Michael Klinger? I mean, yeah. Klinger's a guy who's never played for Australia. He's a battling first-class player. We know what Lehman thinks of players that don't quite make it, given what he said about Brett Jeeves. During yeah. the, he doesn't respect his opinion because he wasn't a very good just cricketer. Just embarrassing. Well, embarrassing when, you know, the, and really Lehman wasn't responding to Jeeves' comment about a column about Matt Renshaw. I think he was really responding to a column on about December 19th where Brett Jeeves really strongly questioned the, the coaching setup in Australia, how coaches are picked. He was basically saying we need to pick coaches based on rigorous determination of who's the best applicant instead of who's mates with somebody or who was a good cricketer. And for but, the response to that to be, I don't care what he says because he's not a good cricketer, is so deeply ironic that like I'm just surprised that someone didn't die from an oversupply of iron it was like <laughs> Well, it, it speaks volumes about his starting point. So, like, I can imagine what he must think of Klinger. Like, you can just mm. get a sense of, can't you? You know, yeah. to him, he'd just be another rubbish. You know, oh, some it, county jobber. Yeah, who... that's right. Some bloke. Yeah, it's exactly right. Anyway, but let's not dwell too much on that. Let's get this nice and upbeat. Uh, the the previous night, the uh, the Melbourne Stars knocked off the Strikers and basically ended their season. Brad Hodge, um, you know, said as much after play for the Strikers. They they needed to um, defend 152 and weren't able to do so. Ben Hilfenhaus was to start with the bat, not the ball. Mm-hmm. He he got taken over the over the fence by Owen Morgan last ball of the game the previous week and yeah. eighteen taken from the last over and he was a bit of the villain that night but on this occasion he was certainly the hero taking two wickets in a row uh, and then and then plundering uh, Ashton Agar's younger brother all over the park in the third last over and uh, and 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 um, getting the job done for the stars and also Scott Boland took four for as well yeah it's just been.
been some great finishes. I mean, that that Thunder v Stars game, the Owen Morgan six off the last ball was just as good as you can get. You know, the Thunder were never supposed to win that. And a little fist um, bu- and a little jump in the air from Owen Morgan, which yep. was equally as impressive. As soon as he, as he hit it as well, he knew it was yeah. gone. Um, and then for Hilfenhaus to come back from that and, and be the hero a few days later, you know, it's... Uh, it's just—it's a lot of fun, isn't it? This caper. Yeah, absolutely. The previous night to that, it was the Sixers and the Renegades. The Sixers continue to um, continue to j- just do enough. I mean, they—they've lost a couple of poor poor games, but they've, they've won a couple on the trot now, and they seem to be more or less a lock for the finals. They knocked off the Renegades, who were highly fancied coming into this tournament. They did mm-hmm. make 170, and Finch responded well to his dropping from the Australian One Day side with 57. Um, but it was uh, but it was uh, Hughes again with 41, Lum 31, a consistent effort across the board, and um, they needed nine off the last over. Pattinson bowling, you gave them mm. some chance the Renegades, but um, but Brad hadn't cut him for four, and they won with a few balls to go. So the Sixers retained their impressive record. Yeah, Hughes has been sensational this season, hasn't um, he? Just yeah, you know, he's another one of these real fringe players who's who's made himself a name. Got to go to India, surely. Got must to, go. surely. Yeah, they all must go. They all must go. <laughs> Uh, the Hurricanes... Charter of Hercules. That's right. Let's take the whole big bash. The two teams we've not mentioned yet actually played the previous night in Hobart. It was the Hurricanes and the Thunder. That's where the um, where Carlos Brathwaite ended up borrowing Pat Cummins' boots. We referred to that before, but... um, And, and <laughs> Haley's bat. I mean, I can't... Surely, Carlos Brathwaite's about six foot ten. Like, like how, how could he borrow anyone's bat? That's like, true. It's well, he point. must have one that was, like, hewn from the, the thigh of an ant or something. Uh, it, it did the job for them. They took a couple of wickets. Cummins took a couple as well. Uh, the, the Hurricanes were held to a 161. Bailey made 69. So another player who responded well to being left out of the Australian setup, 69 not out, that was after losing two wickets early. And then Watto, old school, Watto, 55 off 31 balls, five sixes, cop that. Doesn't mind a six, Watto. I feel bad for George Bailey. I, I think he's, you know, he was so important in Sri Lanka in that ODI series mid last year. You know, he's he's that sort of middle order glue, the guy who can change his game depending on the conditions. And uh, I don't know, I, I can understand the temptation to pick Chris Lynn because he's going so well, but if you've got guys in the format who are, who've done the job, in, you know, done the real hard yards, they're not impressive numbers. You can make a really important 42 in, in a situation like that. It doesn't mean that you're going to end up with a, an exciting looking set of stats at the end of it. The, um, the, the, the Lynn, just to reflect on Lynn before we move on back to, um, back to other matters, that, 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 that innings against the Scorchers in their first encounter. 98 not. 98 not out of 49 balls, a six at the end, which denied himself a century, which I thought was hilarious. Yep. Um, he, he hit 11 sixes. Mm-hmm. He's hit 26 sixes for the tournament, I think it is, which puts him, he's, had, he's hit more sixes than four of the other teams in the competition all up. Um, Brendan McCullough made 50 not out of 31 balls at the other end. He was just laughing. It was, it was, he was the sheet anchor. Yeah, that's <laughs> that right. Partnership. He made a 50 out of 148 partnership. Can you yeah. imagine a day where Brendan McCullum's made you know, a third of a partnership with yeah. anyone? Yeah. Um, and, and Ashton Agar's shrug after the final ball told the full story to me. He just looked at the umpire, shrugged his shoulders like, well, you know, what can you do? And what can you do? Chris Lynn, I mean... The Agar, talk about the Agar shrug strikers. should be trademarked, though. You yeah, know, it should enough. be up there with, like, Bradman and Anzac. You know, the Agar shrug. No one's <laughs> allowed his, to use it for anything. After his 98, that kind of like... The Trent oh, well, Bridge. Yeah, Trent Bridge. It's like, oh, that was fun. Um, but, yeah. but thinking about the, the sort of the way that... He was batting it. 11, Mark Wall. He was batting 11. He was the last batsman. He was the last batsman. That's why it was interesting. And, and made that test match competitive, if not for him. Not for him, it would have been an absolute debacle at that Trent Bridge. No, so the, you, know, you go back and look at Chris Lynn and you think of him as a player. Trent Woodhill's big on this, the, 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 the Stars list manager and, and batting coach and prolific coach around the world. Um, he's big on 
guys who can hit the ball cleanly. And Ed Cowan said likewise on Twitter. Cowan said that you know what we fail to understand as outsiders is how hard it is mm. to consistently hit the ball as cleanly as Chris Lynn does. Yeah. And yeah. it makes you wonder whether, yeah, sure, we get a certain perception of a player like that due to the, the format that he dominates in. But we, to rule him out of longer form cricket based on how he plays white ball cricket, I think would be a folly. Mm. Well, I mean, he's got you know a pretty decent first class record, better than most floating around in the Australian system. So I'd certainly be interested to see what he could do in that format. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it looks almost like the top four's set for me at the moment. I mean, those teams on four points are going to struggle. The Stars on six, but with a game in hand uh, over some of the teams above them. Top three teams on eight. Brisbane Heat lost top spot. Yeah, after uh, the Scorchers beat them, so the Scorchers go top. Sixers have eight points, and they're running out of time too. There's only there's only nine games to go in, in the regular season before we go into the semi-finals. So if yeah. you're going to try and jump from four points into into the top four, you've pretty much got to again like like, like the strikers in the you've women. Got you've got to win every rate. game. You've got to do it on run rate here. So you've got you know you're on four points. You've got two games to play. The best you can do is draw level with the top three, and That's then right. you've got to win so comprehensively that you pass them on run rate as well. As they say, mathematically possible, realistically improbable. Mm. As they talk about at football finals each year. And I think that, you know, again, what we're seeing with the Big Bash at the moment is a tournament that's really fitting into the rhythm of summer in Australia. People are talking about it. People are watching it. It's an outrageous success and, uh, and it's a tournament going from strength to strength. This is The Final Word with ABC Grandstand. Final word, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. And we go full circle. We're back to the white ball cricket for the men's as well. The Australian national side commencing five one-day internationals against Pakistan. Kicks off in Brisbane on Friday. And Jeff, it's quite possible that Pakistan won't win a game on tour. That's my that's my projection. I, I, I just can't see them bouncing back. I know it's different formats. I know it's different teams. But it feels like it's going to be one of those one-day series to me. Australia's a much more dominant side in one-day cricket than test cricket, you know, on, on recent form. Particularly, I mean, that, that uh, South Africa weird series aside where they sort of sent the second string bowling attack. So Stark and Hazelwood won't play every game in this series, but they will play some of the games in this series. And if they do, they'll be pretty hard to get on top of on, on what we've seen. Uh, I guess Billy Stanlake's the old one, the very tall, fast bowler who's been called in. Yeah, likewise, Chris Lynn, George Bailey missing out. Probably fair enough on balance, although he was absolutely brilliant in Sri Lanka. So I do feel for him. In, in that respect, and, and likewise, Aaron Aaron Finch, you know, he, he, uh, he well Finch won a couple of games off his own bat in he Sri Lanka did, too. He when did, yeah. he knew that the pitches would be difficult to bat on, the later the innings went, and so he went very hard early. He scored a couple of fifties off twenty um, odd balls. We made, he made the fastest fifty in the history of Australian one day international cricket as well. Yeah, so just I mean, attacking you know. at the top, you know, all out attack to make sure that they put a big sort of eighty run dint in the chase. Um, before the the bowling got really dif- difficult to face, and he lost his spot to Usman. There's Kawaja. no stat for that. Though. I mean, there's no, there's nothing accounts for the the difficulty or the importance of the runs that are scored. Yeah, especially yeah, that's right. Especially early on in the chase and the dint you can put in. Um, he lost his spot to Usman Kawaja. There was an inevitability about that too, wasn't there? I think we all kind of knew that Usman was going to get his way back into the one day side, and Finch was the logical person he'd replace. And to be fair to Finch, he he took it on the chin. He's like, "Yep, it's fair play. He has made the runs he needs to make." and and Usman has been, so that, that seemed like a fairly logical like-for-like, as you say. Billy Stanlake is the bolter. Um, it was called during the week by the Sydney Morning Herald, which is a good effort, but he's got his way into the side. Um, what's it mean at the moment? I think a bit more than usual with the Champions Trophy coming up. Not usually a tournament that Australians care an awful lot about, 
but no. it's in England. It's you know it, it's going to be significant to the degree to which the eight teams will be in London all at the same time and all the rest of it. So I think you know this is just a little bit more important than usual one day is in terms of formalising the IC the squad for that ICC tournament. Yeah, I mean no one does pay it much attention for a long time. I thought it was the Champignon Trophy and it was for really good <laughs> mushrooms, but uh, apparently not. It's a one day tournament. Um, I suppose Australia hasn't won it for quite a while. You know, you go yeah. back to the oh nine oh eight oh nine when Watto was yeah Watto had the that ridiculous series there, but. Yeah. Um, I, I guess this is like it's like the one days before the World Cup a couple of years ago. The results aren't that important in the grand scheme of things, but it will inform because that can only take fifteen to an ICC event. So that's probably the the main talking point as as we work mm-hmm. through that. Um, and, and and also we're going to be watching Maxwell again. Will he play? I mean, he's Always in the squad, um, but will he play? Yeah, yeah and um, that's the key. It's like, is he going to be yanked out of his big bash side, not able to play there again, so that he can sit there and wear a vest and carry some drinks? Well, I mean, I think I think the short answer is he will, right? Because Travis Head's What's in the, the spot. Point? Why not release him back to the big bash? Maybe they will, but head, head's in his spot. Like yeah. at the moment, Maxwell needs to win his spot back, which is ridiculous for a variety of reasons. But not that head's got his spot, but it is not in the side, and they've not found a way mm. other than head spot. But you know, there, there are significant BBL implications if Maxwell's out of the tournament and also out of the one day side at the same time. Pakistan, they beat the they beat the Caxi as they're expected to, so they've had their warm up game, um, but they're relying on on plenty to win a game here, as we mentioned before. Uh, and uh, and really, the only other news really out of the pre-game hullabaloo is that David Warner's angry about fixturing in India. He's, you know, we're not even talking about one-day cricket, so it gives you a sense of kind of how far we're off Broadway um, at the moment at this stage of the season. I think it's sort of you know it's, it's significant to the degree to which we've got stuff coming up. But this series itself, it's going to take some significant performances to get us that interested. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anything much is really going to do it. And I'm speaking as a cricket enthusiast. I'll I'll, be, I'll watch to see how Pakistan go. You know, that's really going to be my major point of interest. Is and any of their players play well down here in Australia. But as far as the broader context for the Australian team goes, it doesn't mean a whole lot. All right, that's it, I reckon, Jeff. Final word, that's all for this week. We'll be back next week at the end of those one days. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Until then.